Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, you can be seated and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word that is truth itself. Today, would you open our hearts, our eyes, our ears to receive from you. Holy Spirit, speak. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome again to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, and I can't tell you how good it is to be back with you after my two weeks of staycation. I'm Richard Evans, your associate pastor, and as it's the weekend following Thanksgiving, I wanted to just mention how thankful I am to have that position and be able to share God's Word with you today as we dive back into our sermon series from First Peter. As we read just a few moments ago... We will conclude chapter 1 today. We'll get into chapter 2. And here I really feel that Peter is describing what I like to think of and uh, describe as the regenerated life of the believer. That we have been transformed by the word of God, both written and living. And we don't earn it. We don't deserve it or gain our salvation because of our works and actions, but as a result of God's redemptive work, his redemption of his church, his people, his children, and as a result of that, we work, we obey, and grow in our regenerated lives together. Now, I know not everybody necessarily in the room or online is a believer in Jesus Christ right at this moment. But for those of you out there that are not in that position at this time, do not think that this message is not for you. Because it is a clarion call for you to experience and grow just as those of us who are already believers in Christ experience and grow in his word and in his work. For the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not only the instigator of faith in him, but also the very lifeblood by which we as believers live. Does that make sense? Well, I hope by the end of this message it makes even more sense to all of us. Let me share with you when this was reaffirmed to me a few years ago when we were in one of our men's groups and we were trying to have our usual discussion of what should we talk about, what should we study together. And somebody in the group, I don't remember who, uh, came up with a study uh, DVD and book series called The Explicit Gospel. Again, I will admit to you, I don't remember everything from that study, every word that was said or shared. But what I do remember is that renewed sense of the fact that as believers, we live by the gospel. 
that the gospel is to have that integral, central part of our lives each and every day. But I want to suggest to you that we far too often forget this fact. And we do exactly the opposite of what Peter is telling us to do in our reading today. The basic fact that we need to crave the gospel. We do not fully function without the word of God in our lives. It is not just an intellectual level, but an instinctual level. To not take it for granted, but to actively pursue the word of God in our lives. So here's a question. What part does the word of God play in your daily lives? Do you deeply desire to read, pray, sing, and discuss God's word daily? Perhaps it's more in our minds in recent months because of the Ephraim co-op that many of us are sharing together. As a mentor of mine posted recently on his church's Facebook page, the word of God must be read, sung, prayed, and taught in all its fullness so that the church may grow strong in Christ. And he's not even a Presbyterian. As we hear God's word together and share it today in all of those ways, I pray that you will see with me the incredible importance it needs to have in our lives. Because it doesn't just speak about truth, it is truth. I love the way our denomination, our group of churches, begins a document called The Essentials of Our Faith. And it says this, All scripture is self-attesting and being truth requires our unreserved submission in all areas of life. The infallible word of God, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, is a complete and unified witness to God's redemptive acts, culminating in the incarnation of the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible, uniquely and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the supreme and final authority on all matters on which it speaks. If you've been, to, been through the Discovery class, if you've watched those videos, if you are a member of this church, if you're going to be a member soon, you will be very uh, aware and know the essentials of our faith, uh, that document. And I love, as I say, the way that that really encapsulates about the word of God and what we believe it to be. So with all of that said, let's get back to Peter and his exhortation to us to love and to live out the gospel, to experience our regenerated lives. Now, we have said that this series is called Sojourners, Strangers in a Strange Land. And we will see that Peter continues as we read uh, to give us the tools to live in this way, to do more than to survive, but to thrive, to not only look forward to the day when we will experience our true home, but to affect, respect the world that we are currently living in, in which we sojourn. If there has ever been a time to recognize the strangeness of the world in which we live, it's been 2020. 
And yes, I know I am actually the resident alien in the congregation. Last week when Pastor Dustin was describing this, I literally said out loud at home in front of the television, that's me. Not just spiritually, but also physically. But don't hear what I'm not saying. I am grateful for being adopted by this great country. But as I have shared with some of you before, I do suffer what the Welsh call uh, hiraith. Uh, if anybody wants to know how to spell that, it's up there on the screen, H-I-R-E-A-T-H. And the only English translation of that word, or the nearest we can get to a translation, is of a longing, a longing for a homeland. Of course, as a Welshman, you, you apply it to being in Wales and being in the homeland of Wales. But really, it's more about a longing for a home you haven't yet fully experienced. And for a believer, I believe that that is being in a right relationship with God here and ultimately to be in his presence for eternity. Really, it's a recognition of being a sojourner. Now, today is going to be one of those rare occasions when I have us look at the last verse of our reading, talk about that briefly, and then go back to the beginning, because I believe it is a key verse in understanding this particular passage. For right now, amidst this strangeness and affliction that we are experiencing in our own lives and in the lives of the world as a whole, what better time to proclaim the gospel and live it out? As Peter says in verse 3, chapter 2, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Words that remind us of Psalm 34, 8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you will be able to indeed want to live and live the life that Peter is describing here. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? During the seemingly crazy days that we're living through, God has continued to be good. He has not left us. He is not forsaking us. Are you living out a regenerated life, which he enables you to do? Now, this doesn't mean that everything in the world is going to be rosy all of the time. Obviously, this year has only gone to underline that fact. And let's not forget that Peter is writing to a people who are in fear of their lives. They are being persecuted for the choice that they have made in Jesus Christ, the faith that they proclaim. And they are in threat of losing that earthly life because of it. So with that in mind, with that lens to look through, let's go back to chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It has become more and more routine to purify our hands over recent months. The amount of soap in our houses has gone considerably up. And yet, how often do we think about the purification of our souls? 
Peter is picking up the language of the Old Testament, where people, the people of Israel were aware of the need for purification of their souls from their sins through the sacrifices that were made by the priests. However, now Jesus Christ has come. He is the one-time sacrifice. Peter reminds all those who have come to faith that their souls have been purified, washed clean, and they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And then that phrase, by your obedience to the truth, it's important because it's a direct reference to believing the gospel. It's not simply an obedience to the rules or commandments. Or it's not just observing rituals or ceremonies. It is intellectual and heartfelt understanding in the belief of the word of God. That he has sent Jesus, God the Son, to live, die, rise again for the salvation of his children. That God's love for us is so great that he would give his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should have eternal life. Amen. I got one, right? <laughs> this then leads to heartfelt, real, and sincere love for others. In particular those who have already come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not exclusive to those who are believers, okay? We are instructed to love one another. We're also instructed to love those who are not yet believers. But if we don't start with our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are in the body, how can we love those who are outside the body? How can we be a witness to Christ's love for us if we don't love one another. Remember the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples and why he gave it? John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And if we can't do this, and when we don't do this, and the world sees it, we are justifiably criticized from the world. That how can we love them and care for them if we don't love and care for one another? It's the basic, love is the basic characteristic of Christianity. First John 4, 7 and 8, not the gospel, the letter, same author. <laughs> 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Have you experienced someone who loves you when you are being unlovely, unlovable? The person who loves you despite your character flaws and failures, accepts you for who you are rather than who they think you should become. The person who loves you enough to be honest and transparent and say, yes, Richard, you are being an idiot. <laughs> Comforts you when you're caught up in a part of your life that just seems irretrievable. Does that sound like a very special person? 
For some of you, you may be thinking of a spouse, a family member, a longtime friend, or a neighbor. But if you don't have anybody on that list, please know that Jesus wants to be top of that list. If you have him on there, if you know him in this way, then as Peter suggests, you can be loving towards others. The way Jesus has been loving to you. And if that all seems a little bit beyond you, know that reading this passage means it is not beyond you. Because we do it not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Peter is really and truly saying that the gospel empowers moral change and enables us to love our brothers and sisters from a pure heart. Now, many places in the Bible we hear of the heart and its importance. Solomon writes in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In Jeremiah, we hear of the unregenerated heart, the heart in its natural state before God regenerates it. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And yet we see the promise of God in Ezekiel where he promises to regenerate, to even replace our heart so that we can love Ezekiel 36, 26, and I give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And David, King David in Psalm 51, asks, seeks this heart because he's messed up royally. How many of you watching The Crown on Netflix? Okay, there's at least a few of us, right? And you think it's fairly dramatic. Please know a lot of it is fiction, okay? (laughs) But if you think that's dramatic, if you want to know real drama, read the life of David in a royal family, okay? But David is a man after God's own heart, and he writes this in Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Peter is saying that God uses the gospel and our relationship with it to change our hearts with the express purpose that we can love one another deeply from a pure heart. Again, this points us to living out the regenerated life that means that we can have a life that is consistent with the gospel. How does that affect us each day and especially during these times? Someone wrongs you. Do you turn to anger, to revenge, or to forgiveness? You lose a job. Do you feel self-pity and panic, despair, or trust and have faith in God? Do we follow the word of God and the direction it gives, or do we follow what the world would tell us to do? Do we act as sojourners and trust our true father, or do we look to the world and its answers? I believe, again, it is passages like this that brings us back and refocuses on the plan and purpose of God that he has for us. As As some of you shared at our Thanksgiving service, by the way, it is still online. You can go and watch it if you haven't seen it. I recommend you do that. But many of you have mentioned God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. 
Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. There is no doubt, Peter continues, that we have not been born into an uncertain and soon-to-be-disappearing faith. But we have been made new and we are being renewed by the living and abiding word of God. Verses 24 and 25 are going to be very familiar to anybody who's been here more than once in, in the last couple of years. Because it's scripture that we often say at the end of the reading before we uh, turn to the sermon to reinforce our belief and the, in the power and nature of the words that we read in the Bible. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Unlike temporary things that we tend to hold on to all so tightly, the word of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It's been around before any of us were born, and it's going to be around after all of us are gone. Generations have lived a life full because of the word of God, the living, breathing, never-changing word. And I can't help but think back to our study of John's gospel. When was that, like five years ago? No, it was a few months ago, but it feels like five years, right? Anybody? Okay. John 1, 1 and 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For it's not only the written word that has been around for thousands of years that has been preached and is preached, but the living word, Jesus Christ, who is preached today. For there is no other good news, no other name by which you can or will be saved. So let's look at the practical work that Peter's got there in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for pure spiritual milk that it may, you may grow up into salvation. Now clearly here, Peter is listing sins that need to be out of the life of the Christian. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Now in a moment we're going to define each one of them. We're going to dwell on them for just a moment because I believe that's important. Because if we simply say yeah we need those out of our lives but don't really consider them, are they really out of our lives? Anybody willing to, to admit that they struggle with any of these? Okay. This week? <laughs> Today? obvious that none of them have a place in the life of the believer but the beauty of this passage is it is not condemning us because we still experience them it's saying by the power of the gospel we can have them further and further and further away from us be putting them away from us the language that peter uses again uh, really invokes the image of taking off soiled garments taking off stained clothes they're sins that cling to us. And perhaps they're not the most obvious ones, not the ones that we think of readily when we're confessing our sins. And yet all of them 
without a doubt go to disrupt our own lives and the lives of the community in which we are placed. They stop us from loving each other fully, and surely, considering the context in which Peter is writing these verses, that makes sense. But how do we see these these sins still in our lives, in the lives of the church, and in the lives of our church today? Malice. Well, malice, while it indicates a very wide and broad form of evil intent, you can see it most clearly perhaps in your own lives through bad blood or grudges that, you, that are held between people. The underlying motivation for people's actions out of their own interests rather than the interests of others. And it's always good to examine our motivation for any of our actions, our words and our deeds. Are they in line with the word of God or not? So here's a question for us all, including myself. Are you holding a grudge against anyone? Is it eating you up inside? Is it serving any good purpose? Do you need the words of wisdom from that movie Frozen? Let it go. But do so not out of love for yourself, although you will be blessed, trust me, but out of a motivation of a love for others. Now, it might be hard to go to that person that you have a grudge with. It may be impossible if they've passed on. But it's more freeing and more fulfilling to be honest and respectful even when we disagree. The grudge, the action of that other might have been egregious. As I say, you might go because they've, they've passed away, but with all jokes aside, let it go and forgive, and we'll be able to move forward. Now, we're not suggesting you have to be best friends with that person going forward, but move forward in God's word and truth. Deceit. We often think of deceit as out-and-out out lying, to wanting to deceive someone, but it can also be just withholding all of the facts. And on occasion, there are occasions, rare occasions, when it's best to do that, to withhold some of the detail, perhaps, for the benefit of everybody involved. But being outwardly deceptive for the benefit of ourselves to the detriment of others is wrong and needs to be out of our lives. To not give in to the temptation to lie our way out of a situation, however tempting that might be. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy from the earliest of times has been a reason, or at least, very least an excuse by those outside the church for not getting involved in the church because they see hypocrisy. Um, there's a great quote on a DC Talk album. Anybody else a child of the 90s? Okay. Uh, that says something along the lines of this. The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but walk out the door and... Did, uh, and um, and disown him by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And for the longest time, I've had sympathy with that quote. And I realize that it's possible for all of us to be like that because we're all sinners. And it does happen. There simply is no perfect church this side of heaven. But we also must strive to be the people of God that we are called to be. That we are flawed, but we're not giving in to that lie that we can do nothing about it. 
that we can just forget about it and not think of the consequences of our actions or the reactions of others. So hypocrisy is a sin to be put away. Envy. Something most of us struggle from, envy. And I want to suggest that, especially perhaps in this world of social media, because we see all these perfect lives pervaded before us, and we forget the filter that we need to have that says, actually, what is shown and what is real are two often very, very different things. So lessening our use or at least having that filter, will help us to lessen the envy in our lives. And we do have so very much. And we have a a responsibility to use it well. I have been amazed by those who have lost their homes recently in the fires. And rather than envy, on the whole, those I've come into contact with, rather than those people who've lost everything, envying those who didn't, they've just been grateful that they have their lives, and they've even been generous. And we have an opportunity, for those of us who did not lose everything, we have an opportunity to be generous. Slander. Again, something that is really easy to fall into, even unintentionally. How many of you have been told uh, a detail of somebody's life and passed it on without even checking if it's right? I've shared with you the example before that I was in, uh, in Wales, in Rosset, in the village where I lived, and somebody told me that somebody from the village had passed away, and yet within two hours I saw that person walk down the street. <laughs> of course, what we really of slander is more commonly a false, negative, or derogatory comment about somebody that is shared, and it leads only to upset and gossip and defamation of character. And yet, how easy is it to avoid this by checking our hearts with the Lord when we're having those kind of conversations? Even when somebody is sharing something with us, we should stop those conversations there and then. And yet, how many of us have done that in the last week? Who doesn't want to be rid of these things that only go to harm and destroy our lives and the lives of those around us? Now, I'm not suggesting that we will see a complete end to them this side of heaven. However, the beauty of the gospel, as we have said, is that we grow more and more aware of our sinfulness, not that we become more and more sinful, And we become more and more aware of God's holiness. And therefore the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we see how much we've been forgiven. And the costliness of grace. And the amazing reality of the fact that grace is free to us. Now notice Peter doesn't give us a list of virtues to replace what we are to get rid of out of our lives. But by the power of the gospel... It is for the benefit of others as well as ourselves. Well, verse 2, again, is key. We're going to look at that really quickly and then end today. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. I love that image. But it begs the question, do we crave the word of God like an infant craves Milk. I'm sure those of you who have been blessed with children will have various memories of feeding time. Uh, some beautiful and peaceful and loving, and others of screaming children just wanting what they want and what they need. 
what satisfies the life-giving milk. Surely we as Christians need to have that same desire to be in the Word of God, receive the living, life-giving connection with our Heavenly Father. And how often do we neglect this? This basic need of our lives, instead of experiencing hunger and having it satisfied, we ignore it, we starve ourselves, and we become spiritually malnourished. The good news is that we can feed at any time. We have the Word of God at our fingertips. And as Pastor Dustin said, we don't have to drink it all at once. We can jump in and swim around, right? Again, another reason why the Ephraim Co-op is there. If you don't know what it is, it's some daily readings and prayers. They're available on our church app, on our church website. They're printed out here on a Sunday for you to just be fed, to crave the spiritual milk, to see, to know, and taste that the Lord is good.